Welcome to another episode of We Don't Die, where my goal is to give you evidence that although our bodies will disappear, we survive physical death. Every episode, we explore this topic with men and women who have some incredible stories to share. I'm your host, Sandra Champlain, author of the international bestseller, We Don't Die, A Skeptic's Discovery of Life After Death. And I want to be honest with all you listeners right now, is just a few minutes ago, I watched a video that brought me to tears. Um, My cat both my cats actually, um, passed away several years ago and I used to regularly go to a nice place called the Feline Hospital in Salem, Massachusetts. And the woman that worked behind the counter, her name was Sharon and I knew her for years. And Sharon's niece had um, inoperable brain tumor. And every time I'd stopped in, she'd give me Callie's updates and how she's doing and how much money they've raised and all that. And it's been a number of years, but I was on Facebook today and I just happened to think, well, how's Sharon doing? Like it just came to my mind. And there's this beautiful video that was five minutes that was about Callie and the $700,000 they raised. And at the very end, the slide pops up that she passed away a year ago. And so it brought me back really feeling grief again, grief for the family. Um, I think any of us that have lost a loved one and we hear of something, someone else loses a loved one, it's very possible that our own grief ignites and we can feel that pain again. So one of the reasons I'm so passionate about this show and everything I'm up to is I really believe if we believe that we don't die that our loved ones are still around, that little Callie is still around, that we can go on living our lives for a purpose. We know we will see them again. And it just kind of grounded me as to why I'm doing this. So all that being said, I have the perfect, perfect, perfect and beautiful guest for our show today. Her name is Linda Sheldon Fell. And I met Linda because she had asked me to be on her radio. She has a radio show, um, Girl, Good Grief Worldwide, Good Grief WW is how you can find her. And she not only has the radio show, but she does so many things to help people with grief, through grief, educating them and help people heal. And we'll get into that and I'll have Linda tell her story, what she's up to. But Linda is a married mother of four and she's also a grandmother. Born and raised in the Pacific Northwest, Linda and her husband found themselves beginning the long journey through profound grief when their teenage daughter died in 2009 in a car accident while returning home from a swim meet. And their world took another turn when Linda's husband, 46 years old at the time, suffered a major stroke that left him with permanent disabilities. Through this time, Linda and her family have learned a whole bunch about grief, about grace, about loss and healing. Now, if you've had a chance to listen to any other of the episodes here at We Don't Die Radio, you know that I ask two main questions. And one is, why do you believe in life after death? And the second is, how do you live your life knowing that we don't die? Linda is passionate about comforting and educating and inspiring grievers around the world. And I'll let her share all about her world of grief because she's an angel, what she's up to. But Linda's also here today to tell us a story that she rarely tells in public. 
and that's why she about why she believes in life after death. So let me introduce you now to the fabulous Linda Sheldon Fell. Hi, Linda. Hi, Sandra. Thank you for that lovely introduction. Oh, you're just such a sweet, beautiful, wonderful lady. And funny thing is, is we've never met face to face. And I know I love you. I know I love <laughs> you know I think the world of you as well I love you too Sandra and thank you you know um, having you on my radio show a number of months ago instantly there was just a beautiful connection and I could tell that you were a lovely lovely soul thanks. and it's a it's an honor for me to be on your radio show oh thanks well I think too it's so easy when you meet someone there's always the pleasantries and how are you and isn't the weather great and all this but when we talk about grief when we talk about life after death when we talk about these topics I mean they make you start talking about and thinking about your core values and your core beliefs and I think when we can speak freely and honestly about those things and there has to be a lot of compassion uh, because they're very tender subjects but I think you can connect with a human being in a deeper way than just say sitting next to somebody on the airplane having superficial chit chat. So I think that's why we've connected so well. That's my instinct anyways. You know, I, I'll, I it sounds right for me as well. Cool. <laughs> Beautifully said. <laughs> so I'm interested because I know a little bit about you and for our listener today, um, I got recommended that I interview Linda and I thought, well, she's the grief lady. You know, what, what would she say about life after death? And this individual, Andy, Angie Cartwright is her name. Um, she says, oh, Linda knows a whole bunch about life after death. So from your own words and your own experience, Linda, uh, tell me, tell us, why do you believe in life after death? Well, you know, intuitively, my whole life, I've always believed that heaven was so much different than what we were raised to believe. Uh, you know, you often looked up into the sky mm -hmm. and, you know, when you die, you go to heaven. And I intuitively just felt that there was a whole lot more to it. And I was born with uh, some gifts that God gave me. Okay. And so I had experiences that taught me that when we die, we're, we really aren't dead. I, I mean, it's um, your, your, your spirit comes out of your body. Yes. So your physical body dies. Right. And but your spirit lives on. And I never openly talked about my experiences all through childhood and growing up and such because I live in a very conservative area. And it wasn't conducive to believing that kind of stuff. And so you learn very quickly who not to share it with. Oh, and it yeah. just and it just became habit. Well, as I got older and started having my own children, I realized that they had inherited the the family gift because it runs strongly in can, my family. Can I interrupt you just for a second? Like of as course. a little girl and I don't know if as little kids we use the word intuition, but as a little girl, what what did you see that made you believe that, although our bodies died, that in heaven wasn't, you know, just this place in the clouds? Do you have any memories from being a kid? What oh, yeah. You, can you oh, share yeah. something? Absolutely. Uh, you know, 
uh, I, I was about seven or eight years old, and I want to say seven, and I shared a bedroom. I'm one of five. I'm uh-huh. number four out of five kids. Lucky you. And, <laughs> you know, it was a, it was wonderful, actually. I, I, um, I love being part of a big family. Oh, good. And I shared a bedroom with one of my older sisters, who I'm very close to to this day. And one morning, I woke up, and our bedroom, it was light outside. And I looked over to see if my sister was awake yet. And I saw the head of a woman just watching peacefully, watching my sister sleep. And she was dark skin and she had white, uh, you know, like uh, the East Indian cultures and such. It was a white wrapped all around, but I could see her face and she was just peacefully watching my sister Mm -hmm. sleep. And... I was not afraid, and I, rem- I I was, you know, just kind of mesmerized. And, of course, when you're seven years old, you're not thinking about heaven or anything like that. And not at that moment. I didn't anyway. And I remember, you know, telling my mom about it. And the gift came through my mom's side of the family. So it wasn't completely, you know all that far out for uh, for my mom to hear. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that was my first recollection, uh, you know, as a young child seeing uh, something that, you know, was kind of laying the foundation for the belief that, you know, who was that? We, you know, she wasn't dead, yet there she was. And, you know, watching my sister sleep. And it was just her head. And uh, so, so that was, yeah. And so that was my first experience. Now, you know, as a, as a 48 year old woman, you know, I look back on that and I, I wonder, was that an angel? Was it one of my sister's spirit guides? Was it a a family member from way back in the family tree, you know, thousands of years ago? I mean, I really didn't know. And, uh, but what I do know is that it was a very peaceful scene for me. I was not afraid. I, I marveled at, and even to this day, I marvel at how much love radiated from the, the woman. And, you know, she wasn't looking at me. She was hovering right near my sister. Mm-hmm. And uh, so clearly it was someone who was looking over my sister. So so that was my very first experience. And I've had many since then. But that uh, kind of laid the foundation for my first inclination that there's so Something much more else. to heaven. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So... So tell it, it, us more. I love stories. There's something <laughs> I've learned. Um, I've learned it not too long ago that it's great when people teach things, but when you can see it and listen to it in a story and we're mapping it on in our own imagination, it just really becomes real. So well, keep sharing. I'm- I'm not uh, much of a storyteller, but oh, I'll do the you're best doing I can. Pretty good. <laughs> you're doing pretty good. You know, fast forward okay. to, uh, you know, I've, I've had experiences my whole life. And, and I, you know, just even though I don't talk about this very much um, in my own show, and, and I want to explain why. Uh, my show is all about the grief journey, mm-hmm. and we share our losses, our journeys, our hearts, our hope. And so it can be a pretty heavy subject. And grievers... Uh, yeah, especially in the early years of profound grief, we tend to be quite raw, easily get our feathers ruffled, and 
religion and faith are certainly hot topics for grievers. Yes. Um, even if you don't have strong faith, or, or if you do have strong faith, it can cause you, uh, losing someone can cause you to question even the strongest uh, believers, and, and no matter what your faith. And so I don't readily talk about my own faith, because I, I believe to have a a show that embraces everybody, we need to keep our own faith out of it. Right. I understand. Yeah. And so this is beautiful that, you know, your show's given me an opportunity to share something that's very clear, very close to my heart. You know, it's part of my life. And so fast forward to when Allie passed, our daughter, uh, to lay the groundwork, I was sitting late at night in the parking lot of our local aquatic center, waiting for the kids to return from, they were watching the US Open down in Seattle, Mm -hmm. and Allie had wanted to see Michael Phelps swim, and it it was a qualifying meet for the Olympics. And Allie was a competitive swimmer. She, her dream was to be in the Olympics someday. Mm-hmm. And so she uh, competed year round and she practiced two hours in the morning before school, two hours after school. Uh, she was really a, a dedicated competitive athlete. And so going down to watch the U.S. Open was really a huge treat. Well, they had gotten up at, you know, 5 a.m. to swim practice for two hours and then get on the road and go down to watch the U.S. Open in Seattle about two hours away. And she would text me throughout the day and, you know, and I'd text her, how you having fun, lovey? Um, yes, mm-hmm. mama, having fun. Love you. And, you know, it was a, a day where I got a whole lot of stuff accomplished. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so even though I missed her terribly, because we, we were very, very close, as close as a mother daughter could be. And I, and yet my, my world kind of revolved around her schedule. So to have a day off, so to speak, um, I got all these, you know, chores done. And I remember I, I, her letterman's jacket, she had lettered in swimming her freshman year because she qualified for state. And this was at the high school level. So she swam both. Wow. And yeah, and so I went and her, they called and said her linen jacket was ready. And so I went and picked it up and I had it hanging just inside the front door of our home. So when she got home late that night, she would see it. And so fast forward to about 10, 20 p.m., she had called and said, you know, we're just leaving. And what they were doing was rendezvousing and dropping off a couple of the teammates. And it would just be three of them making the last 30 minute drive home. And I said, okay, love you. I'll, I'll meet you at the, you know, at the pool mm-hmm. and at the aquatic center. And I got in uh, my husband's truck and it was a brand new truck. And I drove it to the pool and I sat there waiting and, and time passed. And I started texting her, love you. Where are you guys? Where are you? And no reply. And I called her no reply. I would go into voicemail. And, you know, I was kind of thinking, well, they must have been yakking before they actually, you know, went at the last person's house and, you know, got delayed. And every car that turned into, you know, the, that street, I thought it would be them. And every headlights uh, kept going. And finally at about 11 o'clock, 
so I'd been sitting there for you know a good half hour. Uh, about eleven o'clock, I got a phone call saying that there was an accident, and uh, it was a phone call from the driver's father. And he said that he and his wife were heading down there. And they were dear people. I know them. They're mm-hmm. close friends. And I said, okay, where are they at? I'll, I'm right near the freeway. I'll, I'll, you know, get on the road and head down as well. I think then it was a fender bender. Right. And I, and so he said, well, we're not sure. And so we called 911 and they're guiding us. And I thought, okay. And so I said, I'm, I'll be right behind you. And so I got on the freeway and I'm, I'm heading. And it's, it's about a 30-minute drive to where the kids were and and uh, I called the father back to say, okay, so, you know, what are the directions? Well, no answer. No one would pick up my my calls. And as I got closer to the scene, uh, my legs started shaking. And I thought, it's just a fender bender. What am I so worried about? And I ended up getting lost. And I had to call 911 myself for directions. And I said, well, what hospital, you know, are they transporting the kids to? And she couldn't give me that information. And she said, all I can tell you is that there's support on the scene. And I used Hmm. to be a firefighter EMT. And so I knew what that meant. Support meant that there was a fatality and they're sending out support to, um, yeah, like a a pastor, a priest. uh, They're sending support out to, because oftentimes uh, when there's an accident, you're the EMTs and medics that, you know, it, it can be gruesome. Sure. And so, uh, so sending support to the scene is not uncommon when there's a fatality, but it didn't click in my head. I thought, well, that's strange. I wonder why they're sending support for a fender bender. I mean, I just had it in my head. It was a fender bender. And so, I, you know, I, I in any case, I, I um, finally figured out where it was. And as I drove up to the scene, it was not what I expected. There was lights, police, you know, fire trucks everywhere. And I could see the two cars off in the field and kind of a crumpled heap. And as I slowed, and clearly the road was blocked. And as I pulled up at that point, I kind of had an out of body experience. I just, I, I was on autopilot Mm -hmm. and I rolled down my window because and I I you know thought I I was going to ask for directions to a different accident clearly this couldn't have been my daughter's and as I rolled down the window they came to the window I think expecting to tell me I you know the road's blocked you got to turn around and somehow it just clicked in their head and I rolled down the window no words came out they stood there looking at me and finally I said my daughter. And they stood there looking at me. And then they said, Alyssa fell. And I said, yes. And they said, 15. And I said, yes. And then I said, she's here, isn't she? And they wouldn't answer me. And I said, take me to my daughter. And keep in mind, I was completely calm. Mm -hmm. Absolutely just matter of fact, take me to my daughter. And they just stood there looking at me through the window of the truck. And I finally, I opened the door and got out. And I just instinctively knew that she would be by the the vehicles in the field. And I started walking over there. They didn't stop me. Uh, They followed me. And I walked over there. And there she was on the ground with a white sheet 
already strapped down to her. They, they had her on a backboard and the, the straps were over the white sheet. And I knelt down and I reached underneath the sheet and found her hand and I held her hand. And the only part of her that was visible were her sweet little feet. And she had worn sandals you know, like flip-flops. And I remember looking at her sweet little feet thinking, Pooh Bear, where's your shoes, silly girl? I mean, Mm. that's because I was just in such shock. And they all surrounded me, all the people on the scene, and they just stood back a little bit behind me and took in the scene out of respect and compassion. I could feel their love behind me. And I just sat there with my daughter, too shocked to do anything. And then I looked up into the dark field, the dark night. And then that's where I saw her, my sweet beloved grandmother, who I saw most every day of my childhood uh, and who had passed on about 15 years ago. She was leading my daughter away. And my daughter was looking back at me. And my grandmother had her arm around Allie leading her away. And I said, okay, Pooh Bear, okay. And I knew that the accident was meant to be for reasons that I didn't understand. And all, I I mean, I'm not going to go into the darkness of the journey and such, but I will say that believing we don't die and knowing that my child is still a part of our lives and still plays a huge role in our life, that brings me comfort. Mm-hmm. And and I, I, I do remember um, early on a lot of the moms, the swim team kids, they'd come and sit with me in a little shop that Allie and I had started, a little dress shop. And we had a lot of fun there. And... So after the accident, it was a natural meeting place for people to come and sit and cry and laugh. And one of the moms said to me one day, she said, well, it must be easier for you since you can hear Allie and talk to her. Hmm. And I remember thinking, no, I want to smell her hair. I want to wrap my arms around her. I want to wake her sleepy face, you know, wake her sleepy body up, um, you know, on a weekend and, you know, kiss her and, and, you know, watch her go to prom and get her driver's license and all that stuff. And, um, but it does bring me comfort to know that she's still part of our lives and, There's a few things that I do want to share Mm -hmm. that, you know, that night seeing my grandmother lead her away in the field is not the last time that I've, you know, talked with Pooh Bear. Um, As a mom whose child passed in an accident, you know, some of the things that go through your head is, did they suffer? Did they cry out for their mommy or their father? And... All of a sudden, I had a, a quick vision of just bright lights, and that was it. And so I knew she was putting that fear for me at 
rest. Yes. She showed me that she just saw bright headlights because it was a T-bone accident Mm -hmm. and the truck that uh, hit them uh, hit right where my daughter was. And uh, both vehicles were going, um, you know, 55 miles an hour. Mm -hmm. And uh, and so she just saw the bright lights and then that was it. So she felt no pain at all. And and that that's huge. That's huge to me uh, to know that she didn't suffer, that she didn't cry out. And, you know, I don't talk to her all the time saying, lovey, you know, what do I need to get at the store? Right. Or, uh, you know, it's it's more because I don't know how heaven works. And mm-hmm. I do believe heaven is all around us. I don't believe it's up in the sky. I believe it's all around us. And I, yet I don't know how it works. And so I don't want to intrude all the time on whatever it is that they do in heaven. Um, you know, so I don't ask her for guidance on all kinds of things. But when things pop into my head, I know it's her still uh, guiding me along. And I'm grateful for that. And, you know, I, I want to share um, some kind of fun things. And these sure. are, uh, you know, it's Allie's connection with me is certainly not exclusive to me. Um, Allie's one of four kids, and our oldest son, who's now 25, oh, it was a year or two after the accident, um, he drove a big redneck truck, a big beater of a truck, and he, <laughs> he loved that truck. And one day he got in the truck to go somewhere, and then he got out of the truck, and then he got back in the truck, and he felt something underneath the floor mat that wasn't there, you know, when he was in the truck just moments before. And he felt something underneath the floor mat and he, he pulled back the floor mat and there was a blue rock. And Allie is a rock hound mm-hmm. and she her favorite color is blue. And so underneath his floor mat was a, a blue rock. And he was just delighted and you know, it just, I don't know if he'd been thinking about her or feeling really sad. I don't know. But, um, you know, he came in the house and shared it with us that he was so happy to see that blue rock. And because he knew it was from Allie, it hadn't been there moments before. And it was blue. Yeah, you don't see too many of those. Well, the thing is, is that she she loved outside and she had a a special affinity for fairies. And so uh, she was always... um, you know, outside creating fairy houses or this or that. (laughs) And so she had spray painted a number of driveway type rocks blue. And every so often I still find a blue rock somewhere outside and I know it's one of hers. And, uh, and so, you know, that's one story. And, uh, you know, one night, um, my husband and I, uh, you know, were sleeping and I remember having kind of a, um, Oh, gosh, uh, almost a moaning, uh, feeling this deep, deep, painful sorrow deep in my soul. And at that moment, my husband turned to look at me to see if I was okay. And and it was early morning, so it was just enough light out. And he said, my face was Allie's face. Oh, wow. Yeah. And it, he, it lasted. Of course, I wasn't aware of it, but um, it brought my husband so much comfort yes 
And because men tend to grieve differently, they hold things inside and don't readily cry as openly as women might. And uh, that was really huge for him. And, you know, I don't know how heaven can do that, but it, heaven did that. <laughs> There's a lot and of mysteries. That's right. In the yeah. World of, yeah, yeah. The hereafter. Yeah. No question. And, and, you know, dreams are another way, too, that um, they often visit us. And every so often, not frequently, but maybe two, three times a year, Allie will either visit me in a dream or she'll give me a dream that is very meaningful and offers guidance. And I'm very grateful for those. I know that she's still guiding, you know, the path that I am now on because of the accident. And go ahead. No, I'm just I'm just thinking, you know, there's I think there's two people that live in many of our heads and one is the one that wants to believe and the one with the childlike wonder and the one that likes to dream and loves to love. And then there's this other part of us, I think, that, oh, this is all in this lady's imagination. This can't be. The dreams, you know, it's whatever. But you know what I'm talking about, the, that little voice of negativity. And it's interesting to me because, you know, I write about this and talk about it, too, in my book. Um, in looking around even in my room right now everything i see is made up of energy everything's i mean this is scientific stuff vibrating right. energy even the sound you know you are where are you living right now linda i up in the pacific i was born and raised here in the pacific northwest we're north of seattle okay and so you're yeah. there and i'm on the opposite side of the united states in massachusetts and my computer's not connected to any wires or anything right now. And through Skype, I can see your face. <laughs> but there's no, there's nothing, there's no wires connecting us. There is this invisible world of internet signals, radio waves, television waves, like invisible to our eyes, but very, very real. And I think the part of us that, believes we're just human and there can't be anything else you know we're not paying attention really to the miracle of what we're living in today so many of us are so used to using our iphone and accessing the internet and but when you really start digging i mean it's all energy and so it doesn't have to be visible to be real um those things about your daughter coming in in dreams and even the visions you've seen of her and your grandmother and things like that this is real stuff we're talking about and I just want to everybody including myself to pay attention to that skeptical part of our brain and is it good to be skeptical yeah I think so about certain things and you know we have to question things but also like if you want to question things you know start questioning things that we have around us and you know like like the internet I mean you can't see it you can't see radio waves and they're very very real so I ask everybody to just maybe put aside that little voice in our head that says, can't be real, can't be truthful, because, you know, that little voice often beats up on ourselves, too. And so it's not there always to empower us. So I just want to I just wanted to bring that up. Um, I just yeah. felt the need. And, and, you know, I have a couple of thoughts on that. Um, my favorite analogy when faced with a skeptic is I ask him, do you listen to the radio? 
And they say, of course, I listen to the radio. And I say, well, you know, there's radio waves coming through the atmosphere and you can't see them. Mm -mm. Yet you can hear the radio just fine, clear as a bell. And this is really not that different. You know, how the energy works, I don't know. Me neither. But it's, you know, if you can hear a radio without seeing the radio waves, this is really pretty similar. And the other thing, too, is that for me personally, when someone is a skeptic on this, it's interesting that human nature is such that we don't believe in something we haven't yet experienced. Yes. And it's... And forgive me for um, not being very um, politically correct on this, but I'm just just gonna say it. I'm not gonna sugarcoat it. But it's kind of pompous for us to to think that we have to have the answers for everything. Yes. And you know, there's many many parts of our world, our universe, where we don't have the answers. And it's okay to not know everything. That's a great mystery of life. And that's mm-hmm. what makes it beautiful and, and exciting. And, you know, they, they I, I mean, once upon a time, they believed the world was flat. Right. Until someone went around the, you know, the world. And, oh, wait a minute. Here I am again. I didn't mm-hmm. fall off the edge. And so then it changed the whole thinking. Well, you know, to... To have your mind and your heart open that the world is so much bigger than our own little space in it, you know, there's so much more to it, it kind of opens a door to a lot of beautiful possibilities. Mm-hmm. If you just, yeah, if you just have your heart and your, your eyes open to the possibilities around you. And I think that that's really, really important. And that also gives you hope, you know, hope that uh, life isn't always tragic. You know, when you survive the loss of a, a loved one, a profound loss, you know, it, que- it it causes you to question all kinds of things. Well, for those of us that firmly believe based upon our own private experiences that we that there is another world all around us, that our loved ones are alive and well all around us, and they can communicate with us yes. um, if we just have our, our eyes and ears and hearts open to it. It's a, a beautiful thing, and it does offer a lot of comfort. It does, and, and I think um, being in the present moment, and you always hear you know about being in the present moment, and the present moment is a gift, but so often we're spending our time thinking about the future or looking back in the past but I know for one when I'm in the present moment that's when I can see some of the miracles that are around me and paying attention to them and also Linda when I've had those moments of um, like being a medium to know things about someone or see something so clear in my mind that about a person that I've never met before and have be able to accurately tell a story and people say yeah that was my husband's name or um, you know there was one time I was sitting at a beach with a total stranger and I ended up talking to her about life after death and what my beliefs were and 
and told her some of my past and that I was petrified to try to do a medium reading on anybody because I thought it was like a, a once in a lifetime thing. And, you know, we had gone out drinking and dancing the night before and I had a little hangover going on. And it was so funny, but she looked at me and she says, well, try it. Do you see anybody around me? And, um, and I didn't, but all of a sudden, you know, some names started coming to my to my mind, and the first four names that I threw out were the four names of her grandparents. Wow. Yeah, and then um, I saw, in just in my mind, looked just like my imagination, a dark-skinned man with blue eyes and big smile, and I got the name Rick or Richard or Richie or something like that, and that I kept seeing this gold watch. So I told her that, and she says, well, you know, that doesn't really apply. I don't know anybody like that that's deceased. And remember, I had just met this woman, and, of course, we exchanged phone numbers and stuff, and the day after we got back from the cruise, my cell phone rang, and she said to me that, well, we were on the beach. She had no idea, but she had a friend named Rick that she had given a gold watch to that fit the description. He had died the day before we were on that beach. Wow. We were on that cruise, and she didn't know him to be deceased, so of course she wasn't looking for him in her mind. And so that comforted her when she went to the man's funeral knowing that he's not gone. And of course, yeah. we're still very sad. We're human beings. We can't just turn off grief. I mean, it's a very physical thing to grieve. But just having those kind of experiences where my imagination or not, I said something very real, you know, even the grandparents' names. And so while my mind wants to immediately chalk something up to my imagination or couldn't have happened, it's it's real. I mean, it's very real. And I know, you know, you've done your share of seeing and knowing things as well. And there's no other explanation. And so let our, us all be comforted that um, although we might be going through a really tough time and it might be tremendously painful, that our loved ones are okay. We will see them again, that our life is for a purpose. And if you can, Linda, um, just share a little bit about what now you believe in life after death and what you're up to because I have this sneaky suspicion that you <laughs> like me took one of the things that was the very hardest 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 things for you in life and now because of that experience you're doing something tremendous with it well thank you for asking you know when I was a child I wanted to be a doctor and no one ever sets out to be a grieving mom and say, no. I, I want to oh, you no. know, help people with it. No one ever says that when no. they're a child. And yet, because of the way that the universe works, because of the way that heaven and God works, I am now in a position that that's exactly what I do. And I certainly, you know, from the moment that the accident happened, I didn't say, gosh, darn, I'm going to go help other grievers. No, I had to find my own footing for and it takes a while. I was in a fog for two and a half years. And I don't remember much from that time. And it what happened for me was a year ago, last summer, I started feeling compelled to write a blog, to start a blog about grief. And I thought, and people have been saying to me, you should write a book, you should write a book. Right. And I thought, well, why? What do I have to contribute? There's so many good books out there. What could I possibly Isn't add? Isn't that funny how we ask that? Yeah, yeah. And <laughs> Crazy. So, 
Yeah. We all so I, have things. Right. And there's many great blogs about grief and healing and loss and love. And I thought, no, I don't want to start a blog. And I kept filling this poll. Mm-hmm. And I even argued with God about it. God, really, I don't want to start a blog. Well, it didn't let up. And I gave in, you know, wave the white flag. God knows better than me, right? And so it's like, okay, all right, fine. You know, I'll start a blog. And because my husband had had a bad stroke a couple of years ago, and in my heart of hearts, I know it was due to the grief. And, uh, you know, he was 46 years old. And um, and so I... So I called the blog A Stroke of Love. And it wasn't about the grief of his stroke so much. It it really, I had to go back and start with the grief of losing my daughter. And so I started blogging. And oh my goodness, as soon as I start, I I would be, uh, that same poll um, would it's like, okay, you need to blog about this. Okay. All right. I'll blog. You know, it was, um, I never felt like I had to blog daily or weekly or be on a schedule. It just would be when I felt mm-hmm. pulled. And, but what happened was I realized that uh, putting pen to paper was very therapeutic for me. And I'm not a journaler. I'm not, I have terrible handwriting. I'm not <laughs> one to, to record my thoughts. Uh, yeah. And so, I, I found it very healing. And soon after that, I was invited to be part of a book collaboration written by 27 women around the world who had all experienced something very harsh, tragic, challenging, and then came out the other side of it to find a blessing, mm-hmm. a silver lining, or use it to help others. And I thought, um, you know... oh. Okay, you know, I, 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 sure, I'll be part of this. And I, you know, suddenly I'm getting all these emails. We need this from you. We need that from you, blah, blah, blah. And I just, okay, each time. And so finally I thought, well, what am I going to write about? Because we had, you know, only so many words that um, each of our chapters had to be. Mm-hmm. And I had to end it with, you know, something positive or this or that. And so I did a chapter that's called, uh, you know, five steps to finding the sunrise, you know, after walking through the darkness of grief, basically. And I offer some baby steps. And the book, when it was released in December, became an international bestseller in three countries. And it was really cool to be part of that experience. Yes, congratulations. Oh, well, thank you. And, you know, so I thought that'd be the end of it, right? And Of course. um, Yeah. Well, I was really inspired by a few of the authors on the book had their own radio shows. And I was intrigued by that. And I was inspired by that. Now, keep in mind, I don't have a degree in journalism or broadcasting Mm -hmm. or any of that. But I thought, you know, that's what grief really needs is a radio show, is a voice. Because on social media, which has been wonderful and healing for many grievers, you don't hear a human voice. You just see what they've typed. And that's great. But I wanted to take it to the next level and, and, and actually verbally talk about it and give voice to the grief. And so I started a radio show. And my first guest was Angie Cartwright, the founder of National Grief Awareness Day. And we hit it off so well that shortly after that, I invited her to be my permanent co-host. And that was six months ago. 
And now we're starting a television show and called Grief Diaries. So I rebranded the Good Grief Talk Show to now Grief Diaries. Okay. And it, it and that's just to be a branding effective, you know, to keep it all together mm-hmm. and such. And we did our pilot episode in Lake Tahoe in July with Benjamin Scott Allen, author of Out of the Ashes, Healing and the Afterloss. And he's a lovely man with a wonderful story of losing his entire family and how he, you know, went through the journey. And then now, you know, he's remarried. He's created a fulfilling life. Yes. And yet he's never, you know, obviously never forgotten his his wife and his um, two sons. But he has gone on to find purpose and fulfillment. And so he wrote about it as a lifeline to others walking in the dark. And so he was our first guest. And then at the end of this month on National Grief Awareness Day, which is August 30th, we will be traveling to Nashville hosting our second episode. And it will be broadcast live on our website, griefdiaries.com. And if you miss the live broadcast, uh, it will be uploaded as a YouTube video uh, within, you know, 48, 72 hours. Mm-hmm. But we will be in Ocean Waste Studios, a historic uh, church that is now used as recording studios. And we'll have a studio audience. And our guest is Beth Nielsen Chapman, a, a, a Grammy Award winning singer songwriter who is also a widow. And she's a lovely, lovely lady. And she will be our guest talking about her journey. She'll play a couple of her songs. And then following the 60-minute show, we'll go outside and and release butterflies in honor of National Grief Awareness Day. And yeah, so Yeah, and our our list of guests are growing. Uh, We we go down to uh, L.A. in October and interview Tanya Brown, the youngest sister of Nicole Simpson. And... And the list goes on. Uh, and Todd. there's a giant convention coming up. Yes, there is a giant convention. It's just I d- so, I just have to back up just a little because it's, you know, back about that little voice that I'm not a journalist. I've never had a radio <laughs> show. I can't write. You can't read my hair, handwriting. So now you're yeah. affecting the lives of thousands of people. <laughs> You've got a television show, radio show, a convention that you're expecting upwards of 600 people to be at i hear that's right yeah in indianapolis the weekend of when is the dates the 16th it's, through the 18th april 16th through the 18th and our website is up it's griefconvention.com mm-hmm. so people can see the speakers but registration won't be open till september 1st we're still putting the bones of the website uh, and the you know how to register in place and uh, you know working with a convention software uh, company that's helping us do all that and uh, you know, I, I just was inspired to host a convention, and it's fallen into place absolutely beautifully. Imagine and how that I, happens. You know, that's the thing about it, is that I am just one person that's part of this beautiful team of people that includes you that wants to take our own personal tragedy and turn around and help those on the path behind us. It's and wonderful. It, it, and, it, it, heals, <laughs> it heals our own heart. And the joke and, of it, I keep interrupting you. I'm so sorry. That's okay. Um, that's- the joke of it all is, is I remember 
when I had the idea for my book, We Don't Die. And I remember I went to a convention that was about being an author. It's called Author 101 University. And I was telling everybody, they said, what do you want to write a book on? And I was so petrified to tell them the title, We Don't Die, that I wanted to write about life after death and also grief. But I kept lying to people and just said, grief, because <laughs> I thought people would think I am a lunatic if I want to talk about life after death. And so it took every bit of courage I could muster when the publisher asked me directly what I wanted to write about for me to tell the truth. And it's just so funny now because I used to be so scared even when people knew I was an author. Well, what's the title of your book? And I would just be like, oh, they're going to think I'm crazy. Well, just the opposite has happened. And, you know, certainly there are people that think I'm crazy. I mean, you can't make everybody happy. But when I look at any time, you know, the number one New York Times bestseller lists are always books like Heaven is for Real and um, My Journey into Heaven and in proof of heaven and all those kind of things that more people than not believe we have hope we've had dreams of our loved ones so many more people have had near-death experiences than let on and I find that more people are open to listening and hearing about this and then to tie it in with grief because if you're a human being you're you're going to experience grief and that's just the way it is but the fact that you and Angie and all the people that um, we know are up to helping people so that we don't die inside when our loved ones die I mean because that's what happens and I think the biggest gift you give Linda and you you have no idea through your radio shows your TV shows who's listening who's watching whose life you not only changed and helped, but whose life you saved. Because you and I both know there's almost a million grief-related suicides a year. Yeah. And um, and so just really kudos to you for everything you're doing. Well, thank you, Sandra. And, and same to you. you know, you're part of my team. You're part of our team that, uh, you know, doesn't want others to suffer. If we can hold them in their darkest hours and their darkest days and let them know that we survived it and it's survivable. It's survival just one breath at a time. Um, you know, it's an honor. It is an honor to touch someone else's life in such a profound way. And I'm, I'm grateful that out of my own tragedy that God has put me on this path and that, you know, by just being with those that are stuck in the darkness, you know, there's, there's, there's nothing better, no. nothing better. And darkness, Linda, it happens to all of us. And every book that I've read or every person that's really inspired me, their stories all start with the darkness in their life, with the pain, with something they over came. And so for all of us, because I'm sure you still have bad days. I still have bad days. I still have things happening in my life that I don't understand. But instead of judging, making it wrong, maybe, just maybe, there's it's a key to something else I'm supposed to do or there's a, there's a gift in our grief. There's a gift in our pain, even though we don't see it, what it is right now. I mean, yours 
led into, you know, helping just thousands and thousands of people, uh, mine as well. And, you know, to be honest with you, and I think you probably feel the same way, the more you give, the more you get in return. I have linked into so many great new friends. I've had a yeah. heck of a lot of fun. You know, the conversations are not heavy not- all the time. Right. So it can be really, it's like a really a joyful life. So our well- time is running to an end though but i just have a question if you have any words of wisdom for somebody who might be listening right now that is feeling a little lost is feeling a heavy heart um yeah just can you just leave us with some words anything you want to say at all tap into that mighty intuition of yours (laughs) well you know for for people that are struggling it's really really important for them to not feel alone. And I might not know them. I might not know anything about them, but I can still wrap my arms around them. And I do that for all your listeners that are stuck in the dark or just not even stuck, but still in the dark trying to make their way out that they are not alone. And this is survivable. It doesn't feel like it. It's scary. It's overwhelming. It's crushing. Take one breath at a time and hold out for when the sun will rise once again. And it will. Yep. And it will. You know, I normally read a quote at the end and I just thought of a quote that I put in my high school yearbook and it was by Richard Bach from the book Illusions and it's don't be dismayed at goodbyes a farewell is necessary before meeting again and meeting again after moments or lifetimes is certain for those who are friends beautiful yeah and and our loved ones are just in that invisible space around us um, quiet your mind, let them guide you when they can. But I do think heaven, there's busyness going on and there's more education to be had too. So I don't think everybody's always around us. But Linda, I want to let everybody know your website is griefdiaries.com, right? It's yep. a good place to reach you. And I, yep. was, I was peeking at that while we were talking today. And then I have a website for this show, which is wedontdieradio.com. And on there, I will have lovely Linda's picture within the next 24 <laughs> hours and her contact information where you can find her. And I invite people just to go to that site as well because I've had some really cool past guests. And also, you know, if this is such a hot topic, life after death, I mean, my my thought was if I can get to just as many people as possible with their life after death stories and have that help you live an inspired life and a great life like that's what I'm up to and if these episodes make a difference for you I want to know about it or if they don't I want to know about it so on iTunes and there's a link right there on the website you can rate the show and you can leave your comments and I promise I'll read every single one of them so I want to close this show with saying thank you thank you to Linda Sheldon Fell my friend can't oh, wait Sandra. to Thank you. See you in person someday. I know it's going to happen. And thank you to our listener. Thank you for spending the time with us. And um, boy, I think that's it. This is Sandra Champlain. I thank you for being here. And we'll see you next time on We Don't Die Radio. Mm-hmm.